Good morning. Uh, welcome to uh, the Rock Church and our online streaming service here uh, this Sunday. Um, if you're a regular attender, we're, we're grateful to be worshiping with you this morning. If you're new and you've just tuned in uh, for maybe the first time, we want to just say welcome. We really want to extend a, a welcome to you. We're thankful that you're here, that, uh, that you've chose to come and to worship with us this morning. Uh, we are very highly um, anticipating and hopeful for the day when we can meet face to face. So, my name is Try. I'm one of the pastors here at the Rock Church, and um, just want to uh, tell you that uh, just a couple things. One is that there is some movement. Um, not sure exactly what that's going to look like, but we'll have more information this week as far as church service. Um, it does look like in the very near future that we're going to have some semblance of 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 our worship service. It certainly won't look like it has in the past. But hey, at least it will be a start. Also, too, if you're new with us and, and you've, uh, you, you know, you're just tuning in and maybe you don't know a few things, you can uh, go onto your app store and you can go to uh, Bighorn Rock uh, Church and you can download an app that uh, will help you with information. Um, it's, a, it's a way that we convey uh, different messages and different things like that. So, uh, so if you haven't ever done that, uh, get online, get on your app store, and download our app and, and follow us there. We also have an Instagram account that you could follow um, as well, and we have a Facebook page. So uh, Bighorn Rock on all of those, YouTube page, uh, and, our, and also to our, uh, our, our website. So I'm grateful this morning. We have been journeying through kind of a, a period of time where uh, we are after Jesus' death and resurrection, but prior to his ascension. And that's a 40-day period um, in, in the lives of, of, of his disciples and the, and the followers of Jesus and in and, and Jesus. And, and it's a place where where this, this idea of 40 is always just associated in the Bible with testing, and, 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 and people are, are being tested in their faith and, and where they're at and, and what things look like with them. And we, we've seen some interactions that he's had on, on the road to Emmaus with a couple of followers who were kind of headed the other direction. And we've also seen a, a restoration in Peter's life where, where maybe he believed himself uh, unfit for service, and we see this place where Jesus restores him uh, back to what he had intended uh, Peter to, to do and be. And now we're going to look at uh, this guy a little bit. His name is uh, Thomas, and we, when we hear the name Thomas, we, we generally uh, associate that with the idea of a doubting Thomas, right? And, and it's because of this little story here um, that we'll see um, about Thomas. But, but prior to that, I want to point out a couple of things. In John eleven sixteen, what we see in Thomas's life is he says, uh, basically, we're at a place where, where Jesus is, is about to head back to Bethany. Um, he's about to go back and, and resurrect um, his friend Lazarus from the dead. And, and there's been all kinds of struggle and, and, and the, the, the leaders and, and the people, the, the Pharisees and whatnot, have been trying to basically kill Jesus. And, and, and they've been kind of off on the other side of the Jordan hiding. And Jesus says, hey, let's go. We're going to go to Bethany. And um, Thomas's response is this. He says, okay. He says, therefore, Thomas, the one called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us go so that we may die with him. So, so Thomas is a guy who's all in as well. We recognize that Peter also last week was, was somebody who said, hey, I'll go the whole distance with you, Lord. I'm, I'm really w willing to, to be with you and to even die with you. Thomas, he's right there as well. Uh, John 14, 5, uh, Jesus is, is basically telling his disciples, look, in my father's house, there's a lot of room. And, and where I'm going, I'm headed up there. I'm going to go to my father. And in his house, 
I'm going to prepare a place for you to come and to follow me. And Thomas asked him this question. He says, Lord, we, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? And Thomas is basically asking, he's basically saying, look, Lord, how, how is it that we're going to follow you into death? How, how is it that you're going to rescue us or that we're going to find you after we're gone here? And Jesus' response to him is, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life that no man uh, comes into the presence of the Father apart from Jesus. And so just a little background, and then we see this interaction with Thomas here and Jesus, and Thomas is still there. He's been hanging out with the disciples. He, he's still there with them. It's basically eight days now after Jesus' resurrection, and we see this. It says, but Thomas, one of the 12, again called Didymus or the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see him, uh, unless I see his hands and the imprint of the nails, and I put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. After eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came in the doors having been shut and stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hands and reach here with your hand and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. What a picture here. And, and you know, really the reality of our, of our faith journey and the reality of, of being a Christian or even that journey of becoming a Christian is, is not one that, that is void of doubt. Doubt is, is, is a real response there. And, and I think what we see in this interaction is we see that Jesus meets us in our doubt, that he's not really, he, he's not uh, upset by our doubt. He, he's not offended by our doubt. He stands ready to meet us in that place of doubt. So maybe you're that person here this morning. Maybe you're, you're interested Maybe you're kind of hanging out, but you're not quite there. You're like, I'll believe it when I see it for myself. I, I want you to know that, that Thomas intellectually knew a lot of things about Jesus, but he began to internalize. There was a change that happened when he met Jesus here, and, and, he, and he, got to, he had that personal experience with him there. His response is, my Lord and my God. It was, a, it was a knowing for real about who Jesus was, that Jesus wasn't just a good guy, that he wasn't just a prophet, but that he was God and that he was the God who then was really able to deliver him into that place with the Father eventually. So, so what, what, what cool interactions we've seen here with Jesus. We've seen Jesus meet a couple of guys on the road, again, who were going the other direction who were done, who had been there, seen it, done that, um, thought it was going to go a different way than it did, and now they're just kind of disenchanted and they're heading the other way, and we see Jesus meet up with them on the road. Again, that idea of pursuit, the, that, that it's always Jesus who's initiating. It's always him who is pursuing us in our lives. It's always him who's initiating relationship with us and then waiting and, and, and desiring a response from us. See, God wants, a, he wants an authentic love relationship with you and I. And, and, and for there to be an authentic love relationship, there's a necessity for a response. It takes two in agreement to have an authentic love relationship. We saw Jesus in his interaction with Peter, where, where Peter had denied him three times, where, where de Peter had just went against his own moral code even, and just maybe basically against who he even saw himself to be. Um, he, he's offended his Lord. He's called him Lord, but then has, has done something that was just completely uh, contradictory 
to what he said he would do and who he thought himself to be. And he thought that that disqualified him. His shame just overwhelmed him and it caused him to just go back to his old life. But what happens? We see Jesus meet him right on the shore, right in his old life and just and, and restore him and, and, and remember just that whole beautiful picture of, of do you love me? And do you love me? Because um, Jesus is saying, if you internalize this thing, if you just love me first, I'll work with that. I'll meet you where you're at and I'll begin to prepare you and send you into the ministry that I have for you. And now we see this picture where Thomas is just doubting, but yet we see again where Jesus uh, comes to him, interacts with him and helps him with his doubt and just says, hey, look, if this is what you need, then then I'm ready to to help you with that. I'm ready to to be here and to... um, to, to give you this. And so this is the picture of, of, of salvation, really. These are, this is the, the concept, the Christian idea of, of salvation, that, that we really need this interaction with God, that we need to understand rightly who he is. And we need to understand rightly who we are, because until we rightly understand who we are, we'll have no real need for a Savior. See, the first part of this thing is is just getting into a place of reality. It's a place of admittance. It's a place of recognizing the reality of my need for Jesus. Um, Colossians 2.13 says this. It says, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having having forgiven us all of our transgressions. See, there's a necessity in our relationship. The problem in our relationship with God is sin. That, that my sin, my shortcomings, the things in my life that I'm not proud of, the things that I would believe leave me um, away from God and separated because of shame and, and these kinds of things, in reality, they, uh, they do. God is holy and perfect, and, and his demand is for perfection. Um, he's, he's just, and he must be just in order to be good. In, in other words, if God agrees with me and agrees with some of the, the things that have been in my life that, that really um, aren't necessarily good things, if he agrees with them and he just sweeps them underneath the carpet, then it would begin to be a part of his character. He would take that on. He would be in agreement with that, and he can't. But the Bible says that he's just, but he's also the justifier. So, so he's the one who has this demand for justice, but he is the one who meets that demand for justice. As a matter of fact, the cross is this place where his love and justice collide in history. And, and this is important that it collides in history and because we need to know that this, that this really happened, that this isn't just a nebulous thing that happened off somewhere, you know, just out here. And it's, it, it's the idea that we just have to believe this story or some mythology. The reality of this is that Jesus lived. He, he walked on this earth and he truly was crucified by the Romans. And he did it so that he could have a love relationship with you and I. And so basically, when we admit that we have a need, that we're sinful, and that we have a need for restoration in our relationship back to to God, the Bible says that if we repent or if we turn away from what we've been doing and we begin to move towards God, that that God closes that distance, that, that he is ready to forgive us of our sins. He's ready to not just forgive us, but to truly give us life. See, we always just think of life in the physical sense, but God thinks of life not really so much in the physical sense, but in the spiritual sense. When Adam and Eve uh, did what they did and they disobeyed God uh, and they moved into disobedience, 
God had told them, don't do it or you will surely die. Yet their death wasn't a physical one, it was a spiritual one. So when God wants to, when, when, when we are saved or awakened back into a saving relationship back to God, what happens is that our spirit is quickened. Our spirit where it was dead and separated because of sin is made alive because the spirit of God comes in and lives in us. And we begin to live in a manner that we were created to live in, which is in relationship to our creator, not apart from, not in rebellion to, not separate from, or just doing our own thing, but together. And, and the Bible begins to call this real life. Jesus talked about coming and giving us the, the ability to have an abundant life. So we were dead. You see, Ravi Zacharias, he said this, and it's a great statement. He said, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good people. He came to make dead people alive. And, and this is the gospel. This is the message of the gospel. And so, so, yes, God has come to forgive us and ultimately to bring us into relationship and, and even proximity to himself to take us into heaven. But there's a whole lot more to this. You see, this whole thing is a key. It's a way of unlocking an entirely new and separate way of life, different from anything that we've ever experienced or known. Colossians 3, 1 through 3 says to put on the new self. It says, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You see, there's a necessity that we would die to self, that we would die to our selfish ambition, to the things that we've set ourselves for, the, the direction that we've taken our life, and we would begin to pursue a higher thing, that we wouldn't be subjected to the economy of this world, but that we would recognize that there's a higher calling, that there's more to life, that there's a spiritual aspect and a spiritual truth to this life that can only be found in relationship to our creator. And so this picture is one in which when we give up the idea of self and we join with God, that we're hidden, our lives are actually in him, that, that we're actually translated into the very Godhead itself. And this is an, an incredible mystery, but this is the Christian teaching of the Bible is that, is that God is, is, is uniting himself with us. And it's a new life. It's a brand new life. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that, 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 that the old has gone and that the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. It's an entirely different and new way of living. Um, we put our past behind. We, we put our shame behind us. We put the struggles and our shortcomings behind us, and we begin a brand new life. The Bible and Jesus equated it with a new birth. Sometimes we, we think of it as, as a destination or an arrival point, but actually salvation is the beginning. It's the beginning of an entirely new life. It's, a, it's the beginning of our eternal existence with God. And so it's marked with baby steps and it's marked with growth, but it is marked certainly with new things, that the old things have gone away and that now we look and pursue uh, the new things. 
We put away the base things of the world. We, we, we understand, we begin to have a right understanding that life is much more than things, that, that our life is, is not just our circumstances. It's not just, um, it, it's not COVID-19. It's, it, it, it's not our wealth. It's not our stuff. It's not our homes. It's not our cars. It's not who we're with. It's who we're related to. It's the higher, it's the eternal things of God that we begin to focus on and think of. But see, there's a struggle in the midst of this, right? Galatians 5.16 says this, it says, but I say walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. So there's this conflict, there's this tension that lives inside of the believer that when we give our lives to Jesus, it doesn't mean just rosy days and sunshine and, and, and birds chirping and no more problems. As a matter of fact, one of the promises that we get from Jesus is that in this world we'll have trouble. That, but, but that he's, he's given us a way through this world. He says to take heart because he's overcome the world. He's, he's given this new way of existence and the way of existence that he's given to us is to live in the spirit, to live as spiritual people versus fleshly people. But the problem with that is that we still have this fleshly nature that lives within us. And while we walk this earth, we, we, we live in the conflict as believers of having the spirit of God in us, but also still having this flesh nature. It's the reason that we see Christians do things that frankly aren't very Christian. It's, it's because we, we've, we cease to walk in the Spirit. It's why Christians get so, uh, uh, we, 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 get, uh, we get distracted by the things of the world. We get caught up in things that God hasn't called us to be caught up in. Things that maybe are important in life, but aren't the very essence or the meaning of life. Things that are meant to be ancillary and, and, and below God, and we, we tend to get them out of step and out of whack in our lives and, and even above our relationship to God. It's because we, we cease to walk in the Spirit. As believers, we're, we're called to, to walk in the Spirit, to, to feed that aspect of, of our lives. It, it says that if we walk in the Spirit, that we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Jesus gave us a spiritual principle. He said, you can't serve two masters, for you'll love one and you'll forsake the other. You, you can't be in two places at the same time. And if the reality of life is that it's on a, on a spiritual plane, you can only be on one plane of service at a time. So there's just this necessity that we would be spiritual people, that we would wake up, that we would uh, practice the disciplines of being Christians, that we would be true disciples, and that we would make time to, to work on our relationship with God. To, it, it's not about the work. It's not that the work somehow makes us better. It's really not about just going to church or reading our Bibles or being in prayer. If we make those things work, then those will develop in us a pride. They'll de develop things in us that, that really don't bless us or don't really change our lives. But if we recognize those disciplines for what they are, they're places where we positionally put ourselves before God so that we can hear from God. We open up the avenue of, of the Spirit so that God's Spirit will be able to witness and speak to us and talk to us. The problem that, that I have is I, I get distracted. I get off on these different things. I, I, I close the door spiritually at times, and I begin to live in our flesh. What does that look like? It goes on to talk about our flesh nature. 
It says this, it says, if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarned you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So it says this, if you're being led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. You see, God never intended that he would give us a bunch of rules to follow, that 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 would be the thing that hemmed us in, is that we would only be following him because we were trying to stay within the rules. Now, don't get me wrong, the rules are a pathway to freedom. They're, they're the things that really keep us free. It's, it's, so much, it's not so much don't do this as don't hurt yourself. Stay free. These kinds of things. Don't give up your freedom for this thing. God's commands are very important to us, but really what God wants is not just external constraints that keep us from certain behaviors, but an internal desire to follow him a heart that, that wants the same things for us that God wants for us. And see, when we begin to walk in the Spirit, when we truly are walking as spiritual people, when we're practicing and following and we're, we're placing ourselves before God so that He speaks to us through, the, through His Word and, and through p- prayer and experientially, and we're, we're practicing some of the disciplines and we're making sure we're careful of, of what's going in, understanding that the eye is the, is the lamp of the body and, and what, what, what kind of... Uh, direction we're listening to, what, where, we're, where we're getting our, our, uh, our counsel from, right? Psalm 1 says that blessed is the man who, who basically does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. He, he's careful about what comes into his ears, careful about what comes into his eyes, that we're careful to position ourselves regularly before God. This is life in the Spirit. You see, this is as it was intended to be. The, the Christian walk isn't intended to be an event in the past in which we experience that and then we just live in the world as we always do. We're supposed to live in the world because of proximity, but we're supposed to live in the world as agents of God by the presence of God in our lives. And, and, and he wants to use us in the world effectively to bring change in this world, but the only way that we do that is by walking in the Spirit. And, and we can look at this list and, and we see things, immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. And we're like, oh yeah, no, no, we got those things, right? Don't, I don't do those things. But I want you to look, the majority of the list is things like enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying. Those are all things that tend to happen within the walls of the church. Those are, those are things that, that almost every one of us have practice. And, and the idea isn't that we would never do those things because in reality, we're all going to fall short, but those would never be the pursuit of our heart. Those wouldn't be the things that we're chasing. Those wouldn't be the mark of our lives that this would. But the fruit of the Spirit is this. It is love. It's joy. It's peace. It's patience. It's kindness. It's goodness. It's faithfulness. It's gentleness and self-control. And against such things, there is no law. Now, those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You see, that's, the picture is this, that, that when we're in the Spirit, when we're, when we're abiding in Christ, when we're abiding in His Word, when this becomes the authority of our lives, then the fruit that belongs to God, the fruit of the Spirit, begins to be evident in our lives. It becomes available to other people. 
It's not the fruits, it's the fruit, and it's these things corporately that begin to mark our lives, not because we're good, not because we possess this, but because we position ourselves in a place before God where we become a conduit into this world and his, his love, his joy, his peace, his patience, his kindness, his uh, gentleness, his self-control, all of these things begin to be a part of our own lives because of where we're rooted, not because of who we are, not because we're just trying to produce these things, but because we're rooted into Christ, because our lives are held with his life. And, 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 and because of that, because if we're rooted in the right place, then we'll begin to bear fruit in our lives. That's the kind of fruit that God wants us to bear. You notice it says that there's no law against these things because there's no need for a law against these things. These things are great in abundance and they are great in... Uh, in just uh, practice uh, full-time. It says that we're supposed to crucify our passions, that we're supposed to put those things to death. You see, if you wanna hear God, you're gonna have to connect spiritually. The reality of it is, is he said that if we're trying to operate in the flesh and hear from God, we just won't because God has said that the flesh needs to die. And it's the spirit that gives life. It's the spirit that God is gonna speak to us through, not through what he has said needs to die. Romans 6, 6 through 14 says, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and, from, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. This idea, this, this thing, it should transform every aspect of our lives. That, that our relationship to God should completely transform our relationships to others, the relationships that we're in, our relationship to our neighbor, our relationship to God, our relationship to church, our relationship to our community. All of these things should be radically transformed by our relationship to God. See, Galatians 2.20 says, for I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now lead in faith or that I now lead in the flesh, I lead in faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me because he loved me. See, it's this idea that, that it's no longer try who lives, but the idea is that Christ would live through try. Not negating try, not, not getting rid of try and the personality of try, but enhancing the personality of try to who it was always intended to be, which is in relationship to Christ. The creature and the creator in relationship, in harmony, in life, going about this life, doing the things that he's called us to do. Ephesians 2, 5 through 7, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us 
in Christ Jesus. Again, while we were dead, it's not about you. It's not about what you've done. It's not about what you haven't done. Um, it's not about how good you've been. It's not about how bad you've been. It's about the goodness that's been done for you. It's about what God has done for us in our lives. And because he's done everything, the, the, the next most reasonable thing that we can do is do everything back, to give ourselves wholly and completely back to him, to recognize that it's him who has saved us from death. You see, that's the thing is that we can have a decent life. We can live an okay life. We can, uh, we can basically be fairly decent people. But at the end of it, the big question is this, who's going to rescue you from death? Because it's something that each and every one of us are going to face. John 4, 23 to 25, this is Jesus is uh, talking to uh, the woman at the well. And he says this, but an hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. You see, Jesus is declaring all things to us. He declares himself to be the way, the truth, and the life. And he tells us that if we want to become a true worshiper, that it starts in the spirit, that we must worship first in the spirit and in truth. And, and the only way to understand truth is to be spiritually alive, reborn, remade in Christ. Romans 18, if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. Hebrews 12, 26 through 29 says this, and it says that, and his voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised saying, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This expression yet once more denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things, so that those which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This verse is just showing itself out to be very true in our lives today that, that, uh, that God has shaken the things of this world. He's proven them to be insecure, unsecure, not places that we can just place our security and live in them, you know, not living in today thinking that tomorrow is going to be exactly like today. It's shown us that tomorrow doesn't necessarily have to be just like today, that our financial systems, our health, all of these things potentially are at question. God has certainly allowed this, and we have to, we have to recognize that, but God hasn't, re hasn't allowed this for a bad thing. God has allowed this for a good thing because the reality of you and me is that we need the things around us shaken up a little bit. We, we need to get to a place of uncomfort before we're ready to recognize that we actually have a need, that, that, that I can't save myself from these things that are going on around me, and I certainly can't save myself from death. These things begin to ground me. They begin to, to make me recognize that, that I can't make life about stuff. I can't make life um, about the material world because it's passing away. Therefore, the, the most logical conclusion we could come to from there is the reality of the spiritual life, that there's more to this life, that there's a bigger picture that, uh, that's offered to us. And, and God is, is certainly shaking our world right now 
But he's doing it so that he's calling. He's calling people. And I believe that God is doing a, a, an amazing work right now. I, I'm, I'm super excited, honestly, about what's going on because people are beginning to question. They're beginning to say, what's this all about? What's life about? And, and, and as Christians, we, we have this opportunity to, to, to be God's agent in this, to, to, to convey truth, to speak truth to people, to, to love people. To, to, to go against um, selfishness and, and extend ourselves in these times and to, uh, to produce the fruits of the Spirit in the lives around us. See, our God is a, is a consuming fire. He, the idea of fire has the idea of passion and that it's, it's a consuming passion. It should, it should envelop all of who we are and everything that we do in our lives should, should be done to the glory of God that we should recognize that if he's, if he's given us this, this, this kingdom that's unshakable, if that's our hope, if, if that's our eternity, then regardless of what's going on around us today, we can have joy and we can be hopeful because we know that there's not life limited to the here and now, that there's more to this picture that God has promised to take us to another place. And that's where ultimate reality actually exists. And, and it says that if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. If we recognize that it's the Spirit of God that's given us life, then we shouldn't stop there. That we should be a people that walk by the Spirit, that we should be completely sold out to Jesus and his plans in our lives. That we should walk each and every day and we should recognize that what we do is important because what we do either robs God of glory or gives him glory. Not because it really does, but because in the world around us, if people look at Christians and they don't see something different, they've got to say, well, it didn't seem to change you. It doesn't seem to make any difference in your life. And I'm just here to say that, that, that Christianity isn't just about a decision. It's about becoming a disciple. It's about, it's about living in the spirit. It's about willfully, daily practicing the things that God has called us to do. And, and while we fall so short and we mess up and stuff, we continue to press on and we get back up and we follow him again. We walk in the spirit. So just in closing, as we kind of get ready and we, we think about getting back together again, uh, one thing that, that I really feel like God has just been impressing on me is A, he's doing a mighty work in this time. And, and I think that we need to be prepared. We need to be ready for that. And God is calling his church to wake up. He's calling believers to, to, to walk in the spirit, to do this thing, to, to be sold out, to recognize that he's a consuming fire and to live that way. But there's a, there's, there's a real point of, of division too that I believe is coming. And, and we all have opinions about what, what, what the way that things should go and how it should look. And I believe this and I don't believe that. And, and, and I just want to say that, that let's just be a spiritual people. Let's, let's don't be enveloped in humanism. To be honest with you, if you're completely looking to science to be the solution to this problem, that's a humanistic um, worldview. And also, too, if you're putting Jesus in the middle of some insurrection, then that's like Peter right there lopping off an ear. That, that, that's also humanism, believing that we somehow are going to rise up and we're going to provide our own solution. I just want to say that as we get back together again, I think that we need to sometimes give up the right to be right 
we need to um, recognize that not everybody is going to see things the same way that we do necessarily. And, and to just walk in the Spirit, to be grateful for what we have. And, and however church starts to look as we come back in here, just recognize and know that I'm telling you, it probably isn't going to look like how I want it to look. But I think that we just need to, we need to get past that. We don't need that to be a stumbling block. We don't need that to be a point of, of division. We don't need to have factions over these kinds of things. We need to come together under what God is doing, recognizing that we serve a higher kingdom. We serve a bigger purpose and a bigger plan than this, and that we don't need to get in the weeds about just details. We need to be about his kingdom. We need to be about pushing that. We need to be a spiritual people, giving grace, giving deference to one another, uh, showing up in love. So let's pray together. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you that you know us, that, that you have provided a way of salvation for us, and not just a way to just save us, but a way to transform us, a way to give us a new way of life, a way that we might walk in the Spirit, that we might walk in newness, that, Lord, we might put the old things away and that we might walk into all of the, all of the new things that you have for us, that you tell us that you want to recreate us, Lord, that you want to give birth to us as spiritual people. Lord, help us that we might practice that, that we wouldn't be caught up in the distractions of this world, that, Lord, we would recognize and know that there's a higher calling and that you've called us to that and that there's no greater privilege in this world than to follow you and to fulfill the, the plans and the purposes that you have in our lives. So wherever we might be this week, Lord, may we, may we be your hands and feet. May we, may we extend grace and love and kindness, Lord. May we fight against selfishness in and, and, and our kingdom, Lord. May we fight against uh, the things that, that would divide us. May we uh, just pursue the things of you and the life in you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.